Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me today from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor, make sense out of the senseless, and if at all possible, find the obvious buried in the absurd. Let's go. Getting ready to take care of some business on this Labor Day weekend. Again, glad to have you joining me. It is early in the morning here in Chicago. I've been up since 4 o'clock working on a project. That is my sweet spot for whatever reason, uh, and I don't know what it is. I've been getting up since I was a kid early. My mom used to say I was up at the crack of dawn, and I think she was right. It was like there's something about that time when it's just about becoming morning and nighttime is starting to give way to the light that... You know, the world's quiet, and especially if I'm working on things, it really uh, puts me in the right place to uh, to accomplish the things that I need to accomplish. So for me, when I'm working on something, between like 4 a.m. and 9 a.m. is like I got a half a day in already. So that's how it works. When I was a kid, of course, I'd be up the crack of dawn eating raw hot dogs <laughs> out of that fridge watching cartoons that didn't come on till 6 o'clock in the morning. Some of you listening may remember a time when the television turned off at midnight There was no programming and they would do the national anthem and that would be it. And the next day at 6 a.m. they'd start all over again. So those days are long gone. But I I do remember being up really, really early to watch like Johnny Quest and Bugs Bunny and, you know, all that stuff. So uh, I guess it's just a habit for me. And this is what this show is about today. It's about habits. I make every attempt when I do this program, as I've said for years, I don't want to turn this microphone on and just complain about the way the world is. I want to at least make some attempt to find the sense in the senseless that's going on and has always been going on because that's what humans do. We create all kind of shit all the time. Sometimes I think we create it just so other people can fix it. Uh, And and it's it's a cycle, you know, that we go through all the time. But today's really about habits. And it's connected directly to football for me. Uh, this past week, I had an opportunity to, to meet with a couple of my guys, Dangerous Dan Coglin and his son, Sean. And I met Danny, I don't even know how many years ago, 30 plus years ago. Dan was outstanding linebacker on the semi-parole slash semi-pro team that I played on the Chicago Panthers. And just utmost respect to the, for this guy. He's an incredible athlete. And back in the day, I always compared him to the vaunted Oakland Raiders linebacker, Phil Villapiano, kind of the thinking man's linebacker, you know, and a great athlete, extremely fast, extremely agile, could read plays like nobody else. And our linebackers at that time, the Semi Pro team, we had our guys. We had Dangerous Dan Coglin on one side, I think he played behind me, would have been on the right side. And then in the middle was our grunt and our knuckle dragger, Phil Chase, the late great Phil Chase, who, I mean, this guy spent more time screaming at people. He was a formidable football player, but he just was a loose cannon. You need a loose cannon in the middle of the defense, bottom line. And the other side was Iron Mike Mays. And Iron Mike just held that. He just locked it down, just locked it down. So I played semi-pro football for five years, probably too long, after I'd played high school football for four, college football for three, park football for three and a half, four years. And little league or midget football for, I don't know, three or four years. So I've been played, you know, football for 18 seasons and it's a lot of football. Uh, 
sometimes I, I don't regret playing, but sometimes I'm reminded more than other days of my playing days. My neck hurts, my fingers hurt when it, you know, it's going to rain. 36 hours before that, I can tell it's going to, we're going to have some humidity because my knees are killing me and all that kind of stuff that goes along with that. But that's the kind of the, uh, the payment that extracted for playing this, this sport. I don't want to ever brush over or minimize the, uh, the CTE aspect of football because back when I played in, in the early days as a little kid, you know, I mean, it's full contact football and you're a kid wearing a little suspension helmet back in the 60s and 70s and didn't know any better. I mean, that's just the equipment that we had. I went from a suspension helmet, then we went to like water helmets, these little packets of water in there to help protect us. Then we went to air helmets where you actually pump air into little valves that were in the helmet to, to, you know, to protect you. Um, and then into college, it was the same thing. But, you know, I'm sure over 18 seasons, I probably had a half a dozen or more concussions. And there are days when I, you know, forget my keys and I walk into a room and go, what the hell am I doing in here? I worry about that sometimes. And there are, you know, serious consequences to all of that, um, We've all heard the headlines and read about those uh, football players who have taken their own lives and, and gone through very difficult circumstances because of their time in the game. But I'm always uh, fascinated on some level and degree about what is it that makes one person play a game for six years or eight years and they take their own life, uh, they become erratic and take their own life and it's found out that they have CTE from having the, you know, play the game and all the concussions that they um, endured. And then you have other guys who played just as long that live normal lives and you never hear about it. You know, it doesn't happen to all of them. And so that's that fine line, I guess, about everything in life. You know, why it works for some and doesn't work for others or why some people are affected and some people aren't, I don't know. But what I do know is we go to dinner uh, every summer, Dan, Sean, and I, and it's just started as a whim, I think. And part of it, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, uh, and Dangerous Dan would probably confirm this, that it started because when he and I reconnected years after we'd both been done playing football, I'm not totally the same guy I used to be back then. You know, football gave me a license to create mayhem, basically legally. And if you if you have the penchant for that. And you need that. I mean, to some degree, there's, you know, there's the skilled position players, which I don't really give a shit about, but, <laughs> um, you know, if you're going to play linebacker or defensive line, like I did, uh, you, you know, you, you got to basically make the other guy wish his mom and dad never went on a first date. I mean, that's how you, how I approached it. So I played that way. Um, and, and I felt that my teammates respected me for that. And I think that my opponents respected me for that. And, and it was give and take. And so years after I, you know, had retired from football, so to speak, and Dan and I reconnected, we're talking about things in life. And he's like, hey, this guy's not a total Neanderthal, you know? So it's kind of gone on from there. I think it was a novelty in the beginning. Like, what is he talking about now? What, wait, what? And at one point, Dan invited his son, Sean, three years ago, I believe, and uh, great kid and uh, chip off the old block and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we have some serious, heavy discussions about life and liberty and the pursuit of everything. And I really look forward to these dinners uh, once a year, usually in the summer because that's just the way it rolled out. So this year we were getting towards the end of summer. This is Labor Day and, and we kind of squeeze it in before, you know, we can't wear white pants anymore because you're not supposed to do that. 
or maybe you can these days. I don't know. But remember that? Can't wear white after Labor Day. Who thought of that? Anyway, um, we had dinner last, uh, last Wednesday night and it's, it's just interesting on a couple levels. You know, I've known Danny all these years and he's an incredible guy, uh, solid in, in so many ways. And, and you want to spend time with people like that. And Sean, to watch him become himself a little bit, I only see the kid once a year and you know, it, it just, you can just see like growth rings on a tree. It just kind of things are changing. And so we have this, these in-depth conversations and it turned around in, in a lot of ways. It always does for me, you know, and listen, I'm just going to, here's the disclaimer. If you're a subscriber or other person listening to the show, yeah, I'm talking about football, but it is so not football. Football was the means to an end for me. And what I, what I'm getting at is you might want to stick around and not turn this off. If you're like, oh, I don't like football, he's going to talk football stories. Well, some of that's there, but the truth is what was underneath all that is, or I should say, are the building blocks that my career as, as a broadcaster, as an author, as a speaker, uh, some of the other things that I've done in my life was built on. And without those building blocks, I don't do this show. Uh, I don't spend 25 years in radio. I don't write three bestsellers. I don't do TED Talks. None of that exists, I think, on some level without the building blocks to, to, to get me to that place and continue, continue doing it, quite frankly, all these years later. I don't know anybody else getting up at five o'clock in the morning doing podcasts. Maybe they are, but there's a reason for this for me. And part of it is me spitting this back out so I can hear it myself and be reminded. And what I'm getting at is f- my experience taught me on the football field such important lessons that, listen, you know, it's a very football, any sport really, and if you, especially if you're not a pro, is short lived. But the idea, I guess, is not about the wins and the losses. Of course, the teammates are unforgettable. I could run down the roster of the places I've been and the guys that I played with in college. Are you kidding me? So um, it was like North Dallas 40 meets the longest yard in college. And um, yeah, it's just, I'm going to get diverted here. I don't want to do that. But those lessons, the things that you have to put in place in order to have any opportunity or chance of winning, uh, are, are fundamental things. And so they're, they, they showed up to me in the form of a football, but they are across the board available to everybody and they, ha- and they should be utilized by men, women, whoever, even if you've never played the game. So the first coaches that I had that, that really, you know, started to, I started to understand a little bit of the, of the game itself and these, some of these lessons was way back when I was in midget football. And I mean no disrespect by saying the word midget, but that's what they called it, midget football. I don't know if it's still called that. But we had the, the fathers that were the coaches of the teams. And these were all volunteers. And these were guys who probably played football when they were younger, you know, and they grew out of it and they want to give back. And there's such a big thing about that. You know, you got kids playing football and you got so many volunteers giving their time to make it work. I mean, right there is a huge lesson. People volunteering their time to see something grow. And I played here in Chicago at the Portage Park, which is on the northwest side. And I was on the Colts and the Packers. Now, as a Chicago kid, I didn't want to be on the Packers of anything, but I'll get a little bit to that later. Uh, but I was on the Colts when I, just a little guy. I couldn't have been more than, I don't know, 10, 8, 9, 10, 12, I don't know. And to go out to practice, after school 
and on Saturdays. The games were on Saturdays, I believe. You know, to, to be part of something bigger than just me was a, a, this huge initial, wow, this is something. We probably had 35 kids gone out for the team. And we're all about the same size. You know, when you get a little bigger, they put you on the, what's called the heavies. So the heavies never play the lights because you're going to knock each other's lights out. But I played in the lights, and then I went to the heavies, and it was the same thing. You get these, this, this sense of something bigger than yourself, that you have to collaborate and come together and do your job to have any chance of winning or having an outcome that works for you. Now, that's not possible in everything, but that's not the point. The point is you put yourself into it no matter what the outcome might be. That's what it, I got early on. It was like the first, wow. And the fact that even as a young kid, I was athletic enough to be good at it enhanced the experience for me. I think it was the only time for some reason they stuck me at quarterback. And I spent high school, college, and semi-pro on defense trying to chase quarterbacks. So I had a aversion to it because when I was a kid growing up, you know, my earliest heroes were Deacon Jones and Dick Butkus and Tommy Nobis and, you know, these guys that were just great defensive, Merlin Olsen, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And to play quarterback was kind of like, okay, but I don't hope, hope this doesn't last. And when I went to the heavies, it was the same thing. You know, I just started to evolve a little bit more, a little, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then I went to the traveling team as I was getting older. And as the stakes kind of got higher, and the kids got bigger and things got faster. And you realize that you have to keep up with this stuff. And is that not how life is? The higher you go on the ladder of whatever success you're chasing, it gets quicker, it gets faster. You need to be stronger, smarter. And all those things play a role in that. So there's the first two things right out of the gate. Being involved in something bigger than you requires finding your spot right? And playing your position, even if you don't like it. I mean, I worked out a quarterback pretty quick. I'm like, I can't throw a football. But having that is my basis the rest of my life. It's just paramount. I mean, in all the things that I've done in the military, it was reinforced. I, you know, four years in the Coast Guard and aviation and being part of that team. And then coming out and going to college and, you know, being involved in all that and playing on the college teams. And every career I've had, I've had to find my place and perform in my position and know my slot. Listen, by the time I got to you know high school, they stuck me a tight end because I had a pretty good set of hands, but I loved rushing the passer. I didn't play. I, they wouldn't let me throw a football because I don't belong there. So sometimes you don't belong in places. It's better off that you're not there. And the second part of that is uh, being able to go up the ladder, stronger, faster, quicker, more informed, more responsive and reactionary to things that are going on so you can read the plays, so to speak, read what's going on and, and adapt appropriately. And by the time I got to high school, you know, I thought I'm going to the NFL. There's not a lot of kids that don't think that that play football. I mean, it's just this, this nirvana out there on some horizon that if you could ever get to that point, this is just, you know, there's nothing better than that. And I'll never forget it's a great story that I, I think about often, especially this year as the, as the fall rolls around one more time, even though it's Labor Day weekend, you know, football starts in a week, college has already started, um, high school started, you know, all that type of thing. Uh, getting ready to try out for my high school football team as a sophomore. I already played as a freshman 
And it was, you know, it was okay. It's frost soft football. I don't know how many places still break them in half. We had frost soft and varsity. And it was a big deal to go from frost soft, freshmen and sophomores, to even be considered to play for varsity. So my sophomore year, I was going to get ready for tryouts that were in August. And for June and July, I had my own equipment at home. I bought it at Sears, I'm sure. And I would practice running into the trees in the backyard. <laughs> Got to get tough. So I was, what, four, 16, 15, 16 years old? And I'd be in my full equipment. I'd get up, I'd have breakfast, and I'd put my stuff on. I, I think I sat and ate breakfast with my shoulder pads on. My mom was like, take those off at the table. But... They got it. I was trying to strive and go for something. And so I was running around the yard and you know, I can't even tell you how many times I whacked into the tree in the backyard. It started to get a big bruise on it. it didn't my, my mom didn't like that very much. And even when there were games coming on, uh, on television, uh, college games, I would go out and practice kicking field goals. Never kicked a field goal in a game in my life, but I loved kicking. So all this preparation to get ready for tryouts. And my dad, who was a banker and never played a contact sport in his life except bowling, and contact was like the beer frame, uh, he, he drove me to, to Schur's High School where I went, and he's, you know, he's getting ready to drop me off. And, you know, no pads yet, just wearing, uh, you know, T-shirts and shorts, and I just thought this was the biggest day of my life. And I said, Dad, I am so ready to make the varsity. Now, listen, let's call it what it is. In my mind... I was ready to play varsity football. In my body, it wasn't even close to where it was going. So at 15 or 16, I probably weighed 170 pounds, 165 pounds. I don't know. And when you, all the varsity guys looked like Godzilla and King Kong to me. You know, we had Hugh Johnson, notice, and the Kakmar brothers, and Big Frank Niedenbach, and Mike Puffpaff, and Mike Rogers. And it was just, it was just, they were all Godzilla and King Kong to me. And they probably really weren't, but back then it sure seemed that way. And so he's dropping me off. It had just rained that morning. And, you know, the field was total mud. And, and we're getting ready to go in there. And I said, Dad, I'm, I'm just so ready to, to make the varsity. You know, he can tell that I'm really anxious about this. I said, I've been hitting trees for two months. I've been running around. He goes, yeah, we know. He said, but just remember this, kid. Trees don't hit back. <laughs> my, only, my dad's only football advice my entire 18 seasons. And I got in there. And there's at least 50 of us, if not more, lined up under what we called the tunnel at Shures, which was like a... Now, Shures, if you're not from Chicago, it's the second largest high school in the city, or at least it was when I was there, as far as numbers of students. It's a landmark on the northwest side of the city, and it is a fortress in so many ways. It's a block long and a worldwide, they call it, this ginormous building. And off one of the streets is, a, is an entrance that's like a private entrance for teachers and went into the shop area and stuff like that. And this, there's a tunnel there. So we called it the tunnel, obviously. So we all lined up in the tunnel and coaches come out blowing their whistles and everybody runs and gets in line it's up against the wall and starts raining again. It is so vivid to me. I can't even believe it on this uh, very early Saturday morning. Um, and we're all, and you could just smell the rain. Our backs are up against that cold brick and uh, we're all wearing basically the same stuff, T-shirts t-shirts, and shorts and, and spikes. And here comes, you know, basically two Vince Lombardis in my life, which was Coach Frank Prio and Coach Ray Smith, the late great Coach Ray Smith. And they're walking back and forth in front of us. Now, the varsity guys knew the drill already because they'd been through it for a couple of years, but the rest of us, our knees are knocking and what's going on? Look at these guys. And... 
Ray Smith had this habit of spinning his whistle over his index finger to the right, to the left, to the right, to the left. And they walked back and forth a couple times, just sizing up the beef, right? And Coach Prio launches into a speech about the pride of Schurz and being a bulldog and all that goes into it. You know, and of course, we all stood up a little taller and our shoulders got a little broader. And he was going back and forth making this speech and Ray Smith's behind him with that whistle flipping around. And it just so happened that he stopped right in front of me. Now, he wasn't looking directly at me, but he stopped in front of me. And I clearly remember him saying, gentlemen, the only way you really lose is if you quit on yourself. And that was, I don't know, 47 years ago, 48 years ago, almost half a century ago for me. And I remember his words all the time. That is not about football, folks. I mean, it is in the context I'm sharing it with you. That is a life lesson. The only way you lose is if you quit on yourself. I mean, the scoreboard might not reflect what you want. And your career might not look exactly as you think it should. But the only way you really lose is if you give up on yourself. If you stop believing in yourself. If you stop believing in what you're here to do, how you pay rent for the space you take up on the planet, what your job is, what's your profession, what are you going to put yourself into that's larger than you? So when you do climb the ladder, you're able to to deal with it more effectively. And I didn't make the varsity team as a sophomore. And that's okay. But at the end of the year, uh, when our games were done, I think we played less games in the varsity. I can't recall I got a chance to get called up, as they, they say. So I'm, you know, getting ready to the next year to be a junior. And um, our our football team that year, our varsity team, played at Soldier Field here in Chicago. I don't recall maybe Marshall High School. I don't really recall. And so as a, as a sophomore, I got to get up and get a jersey. I don't think I had any equipment on, but a couple of us got pulled up. Uh, my buddy Tim Anderson, who I would become co-captains with as a senior, I believe he got dressed for the game. I believe Stevie Catallo, the late great Catman Steve Catallo, was dressed for the game. A couple couple guys my age were, were you know, at least dressed. I don't know that they played or not. And we get to Soldier Field, and it's pouring rain. It's ice cold outside. There's nobody in the stands that I can recall. And there's this game going back and forth. And, again, it's an enhanced memory for me. Uh, being on the bus in the parking lot, watching it pouring rain. I mean, just buckets. And then walking into Soldier Field, which I'd watched a thousand times as a kid for the Bears games and being able to stand there when they still had AstroTurf, which was freaking horrible. But it was a huge memory for me to get pulled up to that. And by the next year, I made varsity. And and uh, and then my senior year, it was co-captain, as I mentioned, with Tim. And then came this leadership lesson. The coaches picked the captains back in the day. I don't think it was a voting thing for the team. And Tim and I, you know, Tim was on offense and I was on defense. And we were kind of like bookends, kind of like thunder and lightning. I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of cut out of the same cloth, just in a little bit different bodies, a little bit different sides of the football. And to be asked to be in front of all these other players that I have such respect and fond memories of, and at the time just thought they were the best. Listen, some of the best guys I ever played with were those seniors at high school at Shures back in the day. And I remember their names and, you know, and we've lost a lot of them and, and, and that's tough sometimes, but uh, I wouldn't trade it. And it is, it was formative to me 
to say, I've been picked in a leadership position for a reason, as Tim has, and that the team gave me that respect because the coaches had given me that respect. I took extremely seriously. I don't take myself very serious, but I took that really serious. And you're going to find yourself in those type of positions in life to ask to be a leader of something. If you have that quality, you should grab it and honor it and respect it and live it to its uttermost. And whether it was coming out to practice after school uh, and getting the guys lined up on the field and, and going through calisthenics, or it was game day and Tim would pick me up on a Saturday morning, you know, the, the weather was perfect for football. He'd come with his blue pinto uh, to my house and I'd throw my equipment in the back and off we'd go to the game and going to coin toss with the other opposing team's captains. It stuck with me. And interestingly enough, I think that it was one of these times where I've never kind of let go of that and I'm okay with it. You know, I, I would rather stand up in front and say, let's take a look at this. Let's see if we can get this done better than stand in the back and say nothing. My career and all the careers I've had, especially in radio, I wouldn't be talking to millions of people as I've had at certain points in my career if I'd never stood in front of a football team and said, let's go. It's to me almost the same thing. It's just a different team. So these, these valuable, valuable lessons that this football experience has given me are just priceless to me. And it was all in disguise. It was all in disguise as football. And the final part of this for me, I mean, I could do two hours special on this and I'm not going to go that far with it. But every time I come into this studio, I have reminders of things here. And in the far corner, there's four football helmets. One of them is under glass and on top. And my two high school helmets are here. And I look at the progression of that. Now, the two helmets on top are pro football helmets. All-time greatest defensive end I've ever thought was Deacon Jones. I have an autographed helmet here. As a reminder of how he played the game. As a reminder of what it takes to play the game. And as a reminder that while the game ends, the lessons don't have to. Under glass is an autographed helmet from my friend, longtime pal Jerry Kramer. Super Bowl one and two, Lombardi's Packers, um, co-author with Dick Chap of Instant Replay and Distant Replay and Farewell to Football and a bunch of other stuff. And when I saw Jerry a couple months ago, I guess it's three months ago now, he's in his 80s, I believe he's 85. And I've never asked him for a, an autographed item for myself. I didn't want to be self-serving and selfish and all that kind of stuff that goes with that. Even though we're friends, I'm also a fan. And I remember reading his book, Instant Replay, and Dick's book when I was 10 years old. It had a profound effect on me. And once again, it wasn't solely about football. It was about these are the things you do to win. And if you don't do these things, you don't win. And even if you do these things, you're not guaranteed to win, but at least didn't give up on yourself. So we're out to dinner, myself, Jerry, uh, his son, Matt, when they were in Chicago, maybe June, I guess it was. And I had bought this helmet. And it's a, it's a replica game helmet that Jerry would have worn like in 1966, 67. And I asked him ahead of time, if I bring this helmet, because he signed so much stuff for me over the years that I donate for auctions and raise money for things. And he's never said no. And, you know, we've done a lot of projects together. So, but this was different. This is for me. And, and, and I asked him, he said, of course, of course. So I bring this helmet and it's in a bag and we're sitting there having some dinner and a lot of libations if you get my drift. 
And as soon as people, it was some sort of um, convention that he was being given an honor for in Chicago as a Green Bay Packer. I don't recall, it might have been like the Electrical Workers Union or something that he's done work for. And they were giving him an award for the for the work he's done for Child ID, which is uh, raising millions of dollars to have children have a, a you know IDs done so if they become a missing child they can be identified uh, and, and that's not that's he's a football player he's supposed to be doing that yeah he is so once people saw the Super Bowl ring on his finger uh, they started taking notice and there was a whole contingent from Wisconsin there and you know they were over back slapping all night and I think one time I bought them all around it cost me a lot of money but all worth it and it, probably three quarters of the way through the night he kind of waves to me while it's getting a little loud. He goes, where's that helmet at? So I take it out and he signs it, but not just like somebody would sign it. He wrote words on there. And the words that he wrote on there have nothing to do with football and everything to do with football and life. And he's like, these are the four things. And we've had a conversation, he and I, about this after the fact. It's, And I'm sitting here, I, I've debated whether or not to put a picture of the helmet up. I might, I don't know. But it came down to passion persistence, commitment, and discipline. Passion, persistence, commitment, and discipline. Passion, persistence, commitment, and discipline. Those are the four building blocks. And that's what Lombardi pushed, and that's what all the great coaches pushed, that's what Coach Prio pushed, that's what Coach Smith pushed. And if you have those four things and they get embedded in you, they don't leave. And then you find yourself decades later no matter what you do, whether it's being up at five o'clock in the morning and doing this show, or you going to work this morning when you don't feel like it, or finding a higher calling after you've been doing something else in your life, all those things matter greatly. And when he gave me the helmet back, you know, I don't know how many helmets he signs this way. I thought it meant more to him to put those words on there than it did to just sign it and say, here's, you know, he cheers to the good times, which was on there as well. But there's a reminder there that I didn't expect. And so the every now and again, when I don't feel like working, I look at that helmet and I go, these are the things that need to be done. The other part of it is that Lombardi started, that carried on through Kramer and the rest of those Packers, uh, and something Jerry and I have talked about quite a few times, was you don't do things right once in a while, you do them right all the time. You don't do things right once in a while, you do it right all the time, even when no one's looking. Case in point, a week ago, I'm going to go out and trim the bushes next to the house on this kind of blocks the alley. And they're, I don't know, nine feet, 10 feet high, 12 feet high. It's time to trim the bushes. And I'm going to cut them level, cut them straight across. Usually I round them off and try to get artistic. And I'm not a landscaper and it shows. And I, and I get them to where I think they need to be. And I take a walk back, you know, 50 yards back towards the driveway. And I'm looking at these bushes and they're pretty good, you know. And I look at this one end a little bit higher and I'm thinking, hey, nobody's nobody's going to know this. Nobody driving by the house is going to go, you see that front part looks a little higher than the back part. Nobody walking by is going to do it. Nobody's going to do it. I saw it. And then as soon as I looked at them, and I'd literally, I think, put half the tools away. I put the, the head trimmers away and I put the ladder away. I hear Kramer's voice in my head. You don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Damn it. It isn't about the bushes. It's about the commitment and the passion and the discipline to do these things that carry over. So yeah, now when I drive out there, I'm like, yeah, it's all level. And I, and I did it because it was the right thing to do it in the right way at the right time. 
Winning is a habit, so is losing. You can't win all the time, and you won't lose all the time, but they are habits, and one is more fun than the other. That's for sure. So I'm going to watch a little college football today. I'm going to be checking out some of the high school scores. I'm looking forward to the NFL pro season starting. I, don't, I just kind of don't care about the entertainment side of it anymore. Just the game itself sometimes gets lost with all the headlines and who's doing what off the field and all that stuff. But the game itself has such value to me still. I'll watch the game and I think the linebackers should do this and the defensive end should do that and the offensive tackle is going to pull in. My mind is still playing the game. My body long ago gave that up. Thank God. So this show, particularly today, you know, as I sat here and, I, and it got lighter out as I was working on this other project, and I thought, what am I going to talk about this morning? And the light hit those helmets just right. And it reminded me of a time when I wore those helmets and the lessons of the game that were extracted from that time and that they don't end. And the only way that you lose in life is if you give up on yourself. So don't do it. Until next time, be well, safe travels. Thanks for listening. Thanks to those of you who are subscribed to this podcast. Much appreciated. Adios.